one constant through all the years, Ray. Been beyond the game. Beyond the game. Beyond the game. The most well-known, the best-looking, the best-dressed. We have the seeds in us of greatness. That is so weird. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. No idea who you're talking about. You like that? You like that? Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. We would be honored if you would join us. Recording in the BTG Studios in Rochester, New York. It's Beyond the Game. Now here's your host, Benson, and those guys. Welcome to the program. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions, townandcountrysolutions.com, fearing nothing but God. You can interact with the show on Twitter, at BTG Program. If you have a thought, feel free to share it. If you have a complaint, well, we'll try to fit it in among the many that flood into our Twitter page. If you have a complaint, you could send that one to Darren's Twitter handle. And let's remember, people, it's a faith-based show, so keep it clean. Glad you could be with us on this first Saturday of November. Benson and Barletta, blessed to be here with you. And I want you to know we appreciate your tuning in. The cameraman caught a funny moment the other night in Miami during an NBA game between the Heat and the Atlanta Hawks. You may have seen the Vine video making his way through social media. Hawks head coach Mike Budenholzer during a timeout late in the game drawing up a play in the huddle with his players. Budenholzer, who was last year's NBA Coach of the Year, is so focused on the play that he didn't realize his players had already broken the huddle and walked away, leaving him (laughs) alone with his chalkboard still drawing up a play. Coach joked afterward that no one ever listens to me anyway. (laughs) The Hawks went on to win the game 98-92, improving to 4-1. and And Zach, if I recall, you that's your pick to go all the way to the NBA Finals out of the East? Yes, it is. Or at least to the to the Eastern Conference Finals. Oh yeah, to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, okay. Finals. Yeah, I have the same two final teams as last year. Cameras also caught another somewhat embarrassing NBA moment this past week in Houston during a game between the Rockets and my daughter's favorite team, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Thunder guard DJ Augustine was driving to the basket, but didn't bother to dribble. I realize at times that NBA officials can be shall we say, relaxed when it comes to how many steps players can take before getting called with a travel. But if I'm right, Augustine took six steps. He basically ran from half court. Oh, man. Perhaps even more astounding to whatever was going through Augustine's mind. I mean, what are you thinking when you don't even put the ball on the floor? But whatever, whatever he was thinking or not thinking, more astounding was the fact that the refs didn't whistle the violation. This despite... Referee Eric Lewis running all the way alongside Augustine the entire way down the court. <laughs> I mean, there was a whistle on the play, but the rest called goaltending against the Rockets. Augustine was credited with the basket, even though he went from the top of the arc all the way to the board without putting the ball on the floor. It was I watched that one, and it was ridiculous. Twitter blew up about it. How close are we if we haven't gotten to that point already? when people are more interested in fantasy football than the real thing. This past week, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver John Brown was active for the team's game against the Browns. However, Brown never ended up actually playing in the game due to a nagging hamstring injury. As a result, he obviously didn't record any fantasy points. This set off a string 
of social media complaints. Some repeat, uh, repeatable and others not quite so much repeatable. Some of the things people said were, were kind of vile. Fantasy owners who, pre- who played Brown after he was given the green light for the game, they were irate. Cardinals head coach Bruce Arians issued a two-word response to those angry fantasy owners. He said, tough noogies. <laughs> well, he didn't say that. He said something else. But you get the idea. Arians' language was a bit more colorful. In defense of the Cardinals, when Brown was listed as active for the game, it was announced that he was probably only in the 85 to 90% range. That should have seemed, I don't play fantasy sports, Zach, you do. That should have been a warning that playing Brown was a bit of a risk, right? Yeah, he, it's a an example of a wide receiver being used as a decoy to draw coverage. They don't throw to him, and it's incredibly frustrating. For his part, Brown himself spent some time after the game calling people out on Twitter for getting upset about it. I mean, is that where we are? The Cardinals are trying to win a championship. They actually have a pretty good shot to do so. Yeah. And they clearly not are going to be concerned about somebody's fantasy implications, but you know, with such sites as FanDuel, DraftKings, and others allowing legalized gambling, which means fantasy players are going to be putting more and more money on the line, they're naturally going to be more upset when they lose and will be looking for somebody to blame. I don't know what we're yelling about! On Monday this past week, the day following the Kansas City Royals Sunday night Game 5 victory over the New York Mets to win the World Series, the front office of the San Francisco Giants, the 2014 champions, arranged to have 25 pizzas delivered to the Royals front office staff to help them celebrate their first championship in 29 years and included a note which read, Have fun planning the parade. Enjoy the ride. Several royal staff members enjoyed the people. Uh, yeah, right? It's my first day doing this. <laughs> Several royal staff members enjoyed the pizzas as they did the... Forget it. I'm not even going to read this line. I don't blame you. When you start thinking about pizza, everything else is second. I'm all discombobulated. Anyway, classy move on the part of the Giants, who, of course, beat the Royals last year in a seven-game. That was a great World Series. Last year's Giants-Royals. It was. Yeah. The recent tradition actually started with the Boston Red Sox a year before when they sent pizza to the Giants. So I'm sort of hoping the Royals will keep the gesture going. It's kind of a cool thing, really. Players always get plenty of reward. They get all the glory. But, you know, the front office staff, they don't get the secretaries, all those people. They don't get anything. So here's a slice of pizza for you. The interesting thing is there's a lot of pizza places in New York City. So where are they going to buy Yankees pizza from? Ooh, Zach making a statement early on. Coming up later on the program, we'll discuss a bit more the recently concluded World Series. We'll talk a little college football. And Steve Pike, coach of the powerhouse women's volleyball team at the College of Brockport, will join us. Plus, we'll have some useless information for you, and I'm going to tell you what really frosts my fanny. All coming up on this edition of Beyond the Game. Folks, let me talk to you for just a second. You've heard us say time and time again on this show that our title sponsor, Town & Country Pest Solutions, are the best. We'd say that even if they weren't giving us money. You know why? Because they are the best. Maybe we just wouldn't say it as often. Hey, have you seen all those stink bugs out there? Don't squish them. That's where they get their name. Are they bothering you? Call Town & Country. Are mice or other furry critters using your home as an escape for the upcoming cold? Call Town & Country. Do you have bed bugs? Do you know someone who does? Call Town & Country. Their team of extremely knowledgeable professionals 
will get the job done for you. They'll be in, they'll be out, and they'll inconvenience you a lot less than those pesky critters have been. Town & Country Pest Solutions guarantees their work. Call Town & Country today at 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. Or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, they fear nothing but God. Don't miss the annual Race with Grace 10K on Thanksgiving morning. The Race with Grace 10K is a USA track and field certified road race established in 1991 and benefits Cure Childhood Cancer Association. The race begins at 9 a.m. Thanksgiving morning in front of First Bible Baptist Church on Manitou Road in Hilton and follows a flat, fast course that encompasses Latta, Manitou, North Greece, and Frisbee Hill Roads. Pre-registration is $20. The entry fee includes a technical long sleeve t-shirt, plenty of food and refreshments, complete computerized race results available online, and, if you're in the right place at the right time, a finishing photo. Awards are given to the top male and female finishers in the Open Masters, Veterans, and Seniors categories, as well as the top 10% in each of the 31 age groups. The Race with Grace 10K is the final race of the Rochester Runner of the Year series and attracted over 1,200 runners last year. Run the Race with Grace 10K this Thanksgiving morning and help benefit the Cure Childhood Cancer Association. For more information, visit gandtathletics.com. That's gandtathletics.com or call 392-0777. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Show's brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Introducing a new segment this week. The most awesome thing I saw. We see a lot of awesome things during the week when we're prepping for the show. What are we going to talk about? What are we not going to talk about? And every so often we keep, hey, man, did you see that? Yeah, that was awesome. We're texting back and forth. That's awesome. That's awesome. But this is the most awesome thing I saw this week. And now it's time for the most awesome thing I saw this week. Everything is awesome. That's awesome. Boston Celtics forward Jay Crowder inbounding the ball from the baseline against the Pacers on Wednesday night. With just about a second or so left on the clock before the half, Crowder, for his efforts, was attempting to get the ball close to the rim in the hopes that his teammate, Jared Sullinger, would get an easy basket. But instead, Crowder sinks it. He sinks the full-court shot. He banked it home for a turnover. It was unbelievable. That's right. By rule, that's a turnover. I mean, come on, ref. You gave DJ Augustine six steps, and you gave him the basket anyway, but you can't give Crowder the two points for a full court shot? I mean, that, that was an amazing shot. Most awesome thing I saw this week. And by the way, the Celtics lost that game by two, 100-98. to 98. That's just that's just salt in the wound. Yeah, if that, so if that shot counts, they win. Unbelievable. A clip of Des Bryant aired on Fox this past Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, I guess. That was a 4 o'clock game. While, uh, while Seahawks player Ricardo Laquette was immobilized on the field with an injury, the clip suggests, appears to show the volatile Cowboys receiver making uh, derogatory remarks 
toward the down Seattle receiver. Suppose he said something like, that's what you get or something, right? A number of questionable translators. I, I don't know who decided they're rip, rip, rip leaders. Boy, I'm struggling tonight. <laughs> you need a new host on this show. A, a, a group of lip readers, amateur at best lip readers, who dominate the cesspool that is otherwise known as social media. And even some talk show hosts suggest Bryant was profanely saying Laquette, as you said, got what he deserved. After the game, though, Bryant passionately denied the accusation, saying that, that he was even, he even prayed for Laquette. Uh, here's Bryant's quote. I won't ever, 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 ever wish bad on a player that's been knocked down. Come on, man. Stop with the blank. Not once did I say that's what you get. I got on one knee and prayed for that man. I got on one knee and prayed for him. Come on, man. Don't put clips together and do that. After a number of questions about the incident, Bryant began to get a little bit angrier and began yelling at reporters and threatened to even stop talking to the media for the rest of the season. Stay the blank away. Why don't you all get the blank out of here? This is our blank locker room. You blank, dirty blank. Now, a little bit earlier, he said he prayed for Luckett. Not to be critical, but I hope he doesn't talk to God with that mouth. I mean, jeez. <laughs> Listen, I'm not about to make a habit of defending Des Bryant. This guy has made his own bed, and now he has to lie in it. But there's just so many possible explanations, really, mm -hmm. for what what he was saying, where he was saying it, and who it was directed to. If If he indeed did say what people are suggesting he said, and if it was directed at an injured look at then it's really just one more incident in this guy's low life existence but i will say that des bryant has enough issues already mm -hmm. he doesn't need people ripping on him for what they think he may have said placing more value on what they think they read his lips to be saying as opposed to what he actually said after the game i think you got to give him some benefit of the doubt mm -hmm. you're reading his lips as opposed to what he did say, this is basically Bryant's reputation coming back on him. He's gotten under the skin of so many people that they'll, they're going to go out of their way to jump on any little thing he does. Sometimes our reputations precede us. They bring us into situations that we did not invite and we don't necessarily want. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 11 says, Even a child makes himself known by his acts by whether his conduct is pure and upright. And only Des Bryant knows what he said and what his intentions were. But your pre your repeated actions do indeed make a statement about you. And Des Bryant is one of those guys. He's, he's always been a hard-on-his-sleeve kind of guy. You don't have to wonder what Des Bryant is thinking because he's going to find you and he's going to tell you. And the first thing I thought when this all came about was, this is the guy who a week prior was the voice of reason to Greg Hardy on the sidelines. <laughs> and oh, what a difference a week makes. It, the Dallas Cowboys are an absolute mess. But so is the entire NFC yeah. East. So well, they Cowboy, got... Cowboy games are must-watch television now because you never know who's <laughs> going to be hitting whose clipboard or yelling at so, some injured player. Or it's, it's, there's it's a like, new Jets. It's like trashy reality TV. Yeah. That's the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, it's hard knocks, but it's not on network. Buffalo Bills fans must be proud. Congratulations to you on being 
the most drunken fans in the NFL, according to a study by a breathalyzer company. (laughs) According to the study, Bills fans had an average blood alcohol level of .076 through the first seven weeks of the NFL season. A company called Backtrack used anonymous samples sent in by fans who were using the Backtrack app on their phone, which is an app that works as a breathalyzer. The company then collected data. Real sound, sounds real scientific. Collected data offered by fans between, on Sundays between September 13th and October 25th to try and accurately gauge how much fans were drinking. Now, try to accurately gauge based on fans voluntary. It, not sure how accurate you're going to get, but Only samples between 6 a.m. on Sunday and 5.59 on Monday counted toward the study. Why would that be, you think? Just to try to... It's got to be tailgaters before the game, starting early. The data was only collected from geographic locations that were hosting NFL games during the first seven weeks of the season. There were probably plenty of flaws in this study. I mean, this thing has got to be so Oh, yeah, this is not scientific by any... First of all, you blow on your cell phones? Like, that doesn't seem especially... I don't know. How would that... I have no idea. The Bills, Lions, Eagles, and Browns were the top four teams. Now, I don't think anyone's surprised by the fact that these fan bases drowning their sorrows and booze. That's that's not a surprise. The le- least drunken team, though, according to the study, the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, they're... They're, what are they, 7-0, 8-0 now? They're not drinking until after the games. <laughs> their games are going well. Interestingly enough, because the study, as I said, was geographically targeted, the Raiders and Jets weren't used. In those markets where there was more than one team, they went with the Giants and the 49ers. No indication why. While the Niners were 10th, the Giants, however, were the fourth fourth least drunken fan base. I would have liked to know the Raiders numbers. I guess they're they're kind of thrown in with the 49ers, I, I guess. I guess. You know, didn't we talk about last year a book came out and the author of the book ranked the Bills fans as the most drunk fans? Yeah. I I, I would never go to a game. I know we're, we're here in Western New York unless somebody gave me a private booth where... You or know, the family section. Uh, well, even there, you still yeah. got to walk through this crowd of drunken people. Yeah. I've had enough experiences that I... No, thank you. Well, I, I, was, I went to a preseason game, a preseason game... Several years ago against the Lions, I had a buddy from Detroit. He's been a Lion fan all his life. If, as if that's not bad enough, being a Lions fan. He goes, he wears his gear, and Buffalo people are just jumping all over him. Yeah. And it was, I'm like, I felt bad for him. I, who He paid the same amount of money that you did. Mm-hmm. He's rooting for his team. He doesn't work. He doesn't live in Detroit anymore because work has brought him out here. He has an opportunity to see his team. It was embarrassing. That's why I'll never go. The Ralph is not a good place to go take in a game if you're a fan of the visiting team. It's just not. In fact, I've gone to games other places where I expected as a as a visiting fan to get a hard time, and I didn't. I just assumed all stadiums were like that. But no, the Ralph is a a really bad place to go if you're not a Bills fan. You know, I was talking to somebody this week, and they were given two tickets to the Bills game, and they've got a. I don't know, 10-year-old son, 9-year-old son, 11-year-old son, somebody that would be you'd want to take to the game. They're not taking him. 
because of the the way the fans act. It's two adults are going to the game. Yeah. Well, that kid, if he goes, would learn a whole lot of language you probably don't want him to know. Speaking of fans and drinking, a popular video this week on social media was of a soccer fan. Soccer fan who all season was sweating out the possibility of his favorite team being relegated to a lower bracket due to the poor play. Mm Mm-hmm. Now soccer re- realigns. That's the one thing soccer got right. Yeah, I do like how they do that. Anyway, after a big week, which assures them of keeping their place in the second tier of Norwegian football, the soccer fan, who seems to be a level-headed bloke, calmly announces into the national TV camera that, if my wife is watching, you need to milk the cows because I'm going to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> Soccer people. Babe, you need to milk the cows. We need to get that clip and get it into our soundboard. Remember that great episode of Seinfeld where Putty, of course, played by Patrick Warburton, is he's the -the over-the-top Devils fan. He paints his face. Did you see that? Were you much of a Seinfeld fan? I am now, but I wasn't when it was on, and I'm not caught up. He's walking home in one scene, and he's celebrating – the Rangers are the devil's victory over the Rangers. And he's nearly run over by a car. And in that car is a priest. And now he thinks he actually has seen the actual devil. That's who, because Patrick Warburton's character was painted all, his face was all painted up. Well, Scott Wedgwood, he's a goaltender prospect in the New Jersey Devils organization, currently on the roster in Albany, New York affiliate, the Albany Devils. Wedgwood wears a mask that features the putty character on it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, you know, very creative. Well, I think he is creative and humorous. You want to know what really frosts my fanny, though? You know what frosts my fanny? You watch your language. Did that totally frost your fanny? Get off my lawn. Man, that'll frost your fanny. If your life had a face, I would punch it. That really frosts my fanny. Easy, compadre. Did I just frost your fanny? As a matter of fact, you did. I loathe uniforms with more than just the player's name on the back. You know, in the spirit of RG3 or Steve Smith Sr., Rams rookie Todd Gurley had a great touchdown run this past week, and all all I can see is the back of his jersey, much like the 49ers defense saw a lot of last week. (laughs) Yeah, they did. But Gurley is Gurley too. That drives me bats. First off, I don't particularly care for a player's name on the uniforms in the first place. Uh, you know, I guess I like the way the Yankees do it. I like the way Penn State does it. It's it's about the team. It's not about you. But uh, if you have it on there, why do you need numbers? Why do you need I'm RG3, I'm so-and-so two? I know, just a little pet peeve that I'm airing out before the whole world, but I, I definitely don't like anything on it. By the way, who wants to be known by a series of initials and numbers? I mean, what are you, mm-hmm. a Star Wars droid? Hey, my father was also Richard Benson, so maybe I should now be RB2. I think you should. I think we should go by that. <laughs> Let's talk about the NFL a little bit. We're halfway through the season. We've been talking about this upcoming segment, possible NFL coaching vacancies. As we look down the line, I'm seeing a number of potential. Uh, we already have the Miami Dolphins. Dan Campbell's in there as interim. Does he get to keep his job? 
I think it's early to tell still. Um, they beat two bad teams. Um, and then they are brought back to reality by the Patriots. I think Dolphins Bills is going to be a really big test for him because traditionally the Dolphins have not been good in Buffalo. Um, they got manhandled by the Bills earlier in the season. That'll be a big test for him. But early results have been positive, and uh, the story came out this week that Rex Ryan had wanted to hire him onto the Bills staff and thinks very highly of him, and the Dolphins refused to let him interview with the Bills. So the Dolphins clearly think a lot of him as well. I wish I had this stat in front of me. There is there's an amazing the amount of interim coaches that actually got hired onto the full-time basis is minuscule. Yeah. Very, very few of them. I was shocked when I heard this statistic. I wish I wish I had brought it, but I didn't. I'm... Bills fans will be familiar with, remember when Perry Fuel was the defensive coordinator here, and he was pretty well liked, became the interim head coach, um, I believe after Dick Duran, and then was allowed to leave, became the Giants defensive coordinator, and won a Super Bowl. So um, Bills fans, I think, would have liked to see him stay and be the head coach. But yeah, you're right. A lot of interim head coaches go back to being position coaches afterwards. Dolphins Dan Campbell, Browns Mike Pettin. That's a weird one for me because he was, he got where he is by being a creative defensive mind and running really good defenses. The Browns defense is so bad. I think it's gotten worse since he's been there. He hasn't been helped by having quarterback controversies between bad and worse quarterbacks. Right. But as you say, this is a defensive minded coach and, and he inherited a pretty decent defense. But I mean, they, I, I think they've regressed. I don't have the numbers, but I feel like they've regressed. Bill O'Brien, Texans, gone. Gotta be, right? The way that the whole, the way you've handled the quarterbacks. Yeah. Hoyer, Mallet, Hoyer. Well, and it sounds like there's a little bit between him and the general manager where he wanted the quarterback cut right away and the GM waited. So I, maybe I'm reading too much into that. I don't know. I feel like, um, he's, a good coach. I know there's a lot of other places that would love to have him. I just don't know. Oh, a lot of these guys just might shuffle around to other teams. I'm just yeah. looking at this and saying, man, there's a lot of possible openings. There could be as many as, well, let me just go down. I got the Dolphins, Browns, Texans. I got the Jaguars, Gus Bradley, Mike McCoy with the Chargers, even Andy Reid with the Chiefs. That's three, six AFC teams. In the NFC, I, if Jason Garrett doesn't get the Cowboys turned around, Somebody's got to be responsible. They've been a mess for a while now. Here's the thing. I think this season has saved Jason Garrett because you're looking at a guy who's had Brandon Whedon and Matt Castle, a quarterback. Des Bryant was out for a long time. I think if they don't go anywhere and they keep spinning the wheels, I think he's got a legitimate excuse. They're two and five. Yeah. They play in the NFC East. So if you get, you got a good chance to get in the playoffs by winning your division. There's nobody going to run away with that division. In the NFC, I, I, Jason Garrett's got to be on the hot seat. I'm not saying all these guys will lose their jobs, but I'm, I'm just looking at the possibilities. Giants, Tom Coughlin. You know, the Giants have missed the playoffs for a while. I'm not sure Coughlin would get fired. He might be a guy that resigns. The Lions, Jim Caldwell, is basically dead man coaching at this point. That's they, a weird one. Yeah, they fired everybody but him. Yeah. Which I, I mean, they, somebody's got to be able to coach that team. That makes me think they really like him, but there's going to be a new general manager coming in. This may be one of those situations where they bring the general manager and then, and then let him make the decision. So I think ultimately Caldwell's gone. And I think the Saints' Sean Payton is a guy that 
you hear might possibly leave the Saints. They pay them a lot of money. If you're not going to win, why would you keep paying them a lot of money? And we've heard rumors that there's teams that have contacted the Saints about trading for him. Yeah, that's that's ten possible vacancies. As as you as you've mentioned, these guys they may just shuffle around. One guy may end up with one of these other open jobs. There's a lot of possibilities. Here. I don't know if we mentioned it, but Ken Wisenhunt's already gone from Tennessee. Did we mention that? No, we didn't mention that. There's He's gone. One. Yeah, there's another interim spot. Which the crazy thing there is, they made Mike Malarkey the head coach, who, as we know from his time in Buffalo, not a good head coach, and, and had time in Jacksonville as well. Yeah. Jacksonville is another one where Gus Bradley, I think, might be safe because they are on the doorstep of a playoff spot. That division is just so bad. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. I think there's a legitimate chance. <laughs> on the doorstep at two and five, like the, yeah. like the Cowboys are. Well, the division leaders are tied at three and five. You know, so the the Colts and the Texans. So I think you could see them back into a playoff spot, and I think that might be enough to keep keep him there. We were sort of laughing about my Super Bowl pick, the Baltimore Ravens. They're mm-hmm. two and six. Yeah. But I'm realizing the other day, that's not very far out of a wild card spot. No, and a lot of their losses have been by like a field goal or oh, less. Yeah. I mean, they, they had the lead in, I think I heard seven games in the last two minutes. It, it's a, it's a remarkable number. They've been in every game. There's, there's the division leaders. There's the three seven and oh teams in the AFC. You got the Colts and the Texans at three and five leading their division. Somebody's got to win the division. But after that, the wild card teams are, have four wins. The, the yeah. Ravens have two. They've yeah. got an opportunity. They do. They absolutely do. And I think, I don't, we're not saying that, that Harbaugh is in danger of losing his job there. I think he's pretty safe. Especially since Ozzie Newsom and that front office are so good. Oh yeah, he's he's safe. That was just an unfortunate segue into this conversation. I don't uh, even know why I brought it up, except <laughs> I guess I'm defending my Super Bowl pick for some reason. I think the Ravens. This is a little premature. It might be a Super Bowl pick next year, because that front office they're up on a level with the Packers on identifying talent and drafting well and fitting players into their system. That if you, I mean, the way they're going, they're going to be in the top few picks in the draft. You give that to Ozzie Newsom and let him pick and restack this roster, they're going to be good again next year. It's not going to be a long turnaround. You're listening to Beyond the Game. When we come back after the break, we're going to talk with Steve Pike. Steve is the women's volleyball coach at the College of Brockport. Beyond the Game is brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. McAfee's Remodeling is a full-service remodeling company, locally owned and operated for nearly two decades. McAfee's team of professionals can help remodel or replace your windows, and for exterior and interior remodels, no one beats their personal and professional service. Call McAfee's Remodeling at 585-402-1070. That's 585-402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Tim Hiller was striving for a prized roster spot with the Indianapolis Colts when six words changed everything. We have to let you go. In his new book, Strive, former collegiate and NFL quarterback Tim Hiller leads you on a year-long journey, taking small steps each week on the path to making your life matter and to developing more and more into the person God designed you to be. Strive by Tim Hiller, now available on Amazon or at TimHiller.com. 
Joining us now on the BTG phone line is Steve Pike. Steve is the head coach for the college at Brockport women's volleyball team. Coach, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk with you and your listeners. Well, I'm glad you're here. The team is 31-1 and heading into this weekend's SUNYAC tournament. You're winners of 21 straight matches, a perfect 9-0 and in conference play. Congratulations on what has been a remarkable season. Yeah, it's been very exciting for our team and for the program. Uh, just been very blessed every day to kind of get to work with them and uh, improve on a daily basis. What is it about this particular group that has made it so successful, do you think? As with any team, there's a number of factors. I think uh, selflessness has been a huge factor in that uh, a number of our athletes, uh, we have 17 on this roster, have all been, um, if not the person on their team, one of the top two players on their team. And so a number of them have had to accept it and love different roles and uh, love to come in and compete hard every day in practice, even though they don't necessarily get the majority of playing time. And that's been a huge impact on our ability to be successful, uh, just to compete that hard every day. And that's made everyone better. You know, I call the team successful, but truth is you've been flat out dominant, the only blemish being a loss to the U of R. When I look down your schedule, you have 31 wins, but 28 of those 31 have been by 3-0 sweeps. Heading into the season, I'm sure you were confident, but did you dare think that the team would be this dominant? No, I don't think you kind of ever head into a season and think you're going to be that dominant, to be honest with you. I knew we had a talented group uh, during preseason that was working hard at that point and was doing a lot of things well, but to... uh to know the outcomes of matches in the future and to know those kind of outcomes are just uh, not typical, that's for sure, having coached a long time. Last year, you went 21-12, and 12, losing to New Paltz eventually in the SUNYAC semifinals. During this year's regular season, it seemed as though that match with New Paltz was your, maybe your toughest victory, beating them 3-2, to two. although in fairness, yeah. the game was at their place. As you head into the tournament, ranked number one and them ranked number two, are you secretly hoping for a rematch to sort of settle the score a little bit? Uh, no, I just hope that's for us to compete well in our next match. And we'll figure out who our next opponent's going to be. I, uh, there's a lot of good opponents right now, and uh, we're just excited about our next opportunity. So I don't, it doesn't matter to us. I just would love to be in the finals and get the opportunity to play. It doesn't matter to me who uh, at all. We're talking with Steve Pike, head coach of the women's volleyball team at the College of Brockport. After 11 seasons as head coach at Potsdam, you joined the Golden Eagles in 2013, won 10 games that first year before going, as I said, 21-12 and 12 last year, which was the first winning season for the team in five or six years, and now 31 wins this year. Have you been able to turn things around so quickly? It's been a, a group effort. Uh, a big input has been uh, you know, the whole coaching staff. Uh, Mary Cocking had played for me that first year that I was here at Brockport, uh, returned to be uh, our assistant coach, and she's done a great job. Uh, we've also brought in a number of new student-athletes to the program. So 16 of our current 17 uh, members of the team are brand new either last year or this year. So that's been a huge impact on the program. And, uh, just the quality of education at Brockport to bring that many student-athletes in has really what's helped us turn it around so quickly. Coach, obviously to have the type of season you've enjoyed, you have to have talented players, but you also have to have solid coaching. What are you telling them that perhaps motivates them each time they hit the court, perhaps even especially against clearly inferior teams, which could be so easy to look past? 
Yeah, I've learned a lot from some really great coaches. And uh, by learned, I mean stole as much as I could and tried to gleam as much as I could from them. And one of the things that I definitely have, um, have used from our current national team coach is that the fact that every time you need to put on a jersey and get to compete, it's special. And that, uh, you know, every time we get to do that, we're really getting ready for our SUNYAC championship. And so when we take it that way for every match and understand that it, it is getting us ready for that and we can learn and grow and be better prepared if we, when we do it that way, it's really uh, helped us take each match at a time and, and just go out there and improve. Uh, and he used it in a different way because they get to compete for the Olympics and work four years of their life or longer for one for one tournament. So, yeah, their, their pressure is a little different, but uh, that's something that I learned from him uh, a couple of years ago. You have a fair amount of local talent on your roster with players from Spencerport, Webster, among other places. When you're recruiting a player, what do you look for? What do you tell them in terms of your expectations for playing at Brockport? Yeah, we, we look for, we, we're honest, we look for talent first. They have to have the talent, uh, the talent, we mean the volleyball skills, uh, to compete, uh, at a high level. But then we, we also, we talk that you're going to be a student first and you're a student athlete. And so, uh, you know, that's our second criteria is where are you academically? And our third is character. And that all three have to matter and have to be important. And so, uh, who you are on and off the court and when, uh, no one's around and the decisions you make are, are very important to our program's success and what kind of program we are, uh, kind of being every day. Do I understand it right? You have only three seniors on your roster. So you, you have a program that could be successful for many years to come. Yes, we currently have three seniors. Uh, all three are, are very impactful in our program, so we're going to miss them. Uh, when when this uh, run at some point comes to an end, hopefully later than sooner. But, uh, yeah, we think that our current roster, uh, you know, is set up for success. But uh, in the future, uh, being that so many of them are um, freshmen and sophomores. I know we have a mutual friend in Gary Sauer and his work on campus with Athletes in Action. Can you talk a little bit about AIA and how they've supported your team, and what what has that meant to you? It's been a huge impact to our young female student-athletes who uh, may not understand what Athletes in Action is all about, but what they do know is that Gary and his staff love them and put others first. They may not understand that that their their primary mission is to put God first, but then they put others. And uh, he just provided us with meals, provided us with opportunities to to go do um, team-building events that we couldn't otherwise afford to do or arrange to do, and uh, it's it's meant a ton for our girls, and they love, last time we went to New Falls, he brought over um, food and fruit and Gatorade, and the girls were just so excited, and so it's just been a huge blessing to the team to see, to have him um, love them and just kind of show God's love to them, even though he doesn't necessarily know them and they don't necessarily, you know, have a relationship with, with our Heavenly Father right now. So that's been neat for him to kind of do that in his staff. Again, we've been talking with Steve Pike. He's the head coach of the women's volleyball team at the college at Brockport. And coach, this is a faith-based sports radio program. I understand that you too are a believer in Christ. Can you share with us how you first came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yes. It's, uh, what a, a heavenly, uh, father is so patient. Um, I think 
was kind of working on my heart for a long time, and uh, it, it took that long for me to to see him as my heavenly father and make that decision. It wasn't until I was uh, after college um, that he had uh, put a number of different people in my life that were um, followers of Jesus and were just kind of doing things um, that I saw that were different than uh, other friends that I had. And so uh, it was one day after you know, college finished up that I was just listening to a podcast that someone had recommended and uh, I made the decision of my own to uh, give my life to, to Jesus Christ and uh, that was amazing and uh, been a blessing every day since and I, I keep just being in awe of the fact that he loves us no matter what. Well, praise the Lord. How can we, how can our listeners pray for you? Is there something, any any prayer requests you have? I would just pray that we continue to support, you know, athletes in action and that, um, you know, all of our students uh, at the College of Brockport and our and the student athletes that I'm working with, um, you know, are impacted by Christians who love Jesus and love them and uh, no matter where they are right now. I think if we do that well, uh, it will have an impact on the kingdom. And uh, I think that's what we're called to do. Coach Pike, thanks for joining us, and I wish you all the best this weekend in the SUNYAC tournament. Well, Rick, I really appreciate your time uh, you know, on the day to, to talk with us and uh, share a little bit about you know Brockport and Athletes in Action and you know, all the wonderful things we've been blessed with that uh, we know we'll be blessed with in the future. That's Steve Pike joining us on Beyond the Game. He's the head coach of the women's volleyball team at the College of Brockport, who head into this weekend's SUNYAC tournament in Brockport at an amazing 31-1. and just a note that any fans who plan to attend the tournament are encouraged to purchase their tickets in advance. You can do that at BrockportTickets.com. That's BrockportTickets.com. Tickets are $6 for adults, $3 for children, and it's free for children under 5 as well as for SUNYAC students with valid ID. Being the top seed, College of Brockport plays at 6 p.m. on Saturday. The championship game is noon on Sunday. You're listening to Beyond the Games, brought to you by Town & Country Best Solutions. Folks, I got to tell you, the weather has been amazing the last few days, and I'm a big fan. The forecast says it'll be a little cooler next week, but still not bad. You know what I'm not a fan of, though? The millions of ladybugs all over the side of my house. At least I thought they were ladybugs, but you know what I found out? They're actually Asian lady beetles. You can learn all kinds of stuff at townandcountrysolutions.com. These ladybug lookalikes are probably using the sunny side of your house, too. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today at 426-5024, that's 426-5024, and they'll make sure your property doesn't become their permanent winter cabin. Call today because exterior treatments are quick and simple, but if they've already penetrated the walls of your house, you'll want to call Town & Country before it becomes even more difficult to treat. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions at 426-5024 or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com. And tell them Benson sent you. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. Benson and Barletta with you on this first Saturday morning in November. The World Series is completed. Congratulations to the Kansas City Royals. Very difficult for a show such as ours that records a few days before it airs, 
because so much changes when you're in a when you're in a playoff thing where you got where you got a series and you got Friday night games and that's in between and, and so much changes. This World Series was a really good example of it was much closer than four games to one. Oh, absolutely. The Mets were were right there. This was a I thought a very closely played World Series. The Mets had a lot of leads. They blew them, but they had them. And I think what three games went to extra innings, so it was it was four games to one for the Royals, but it very easily could have been the opposite: four games to one for the Mets if they had any sort of bullpen. It was tremendously entertaining, and I think both teams have a limited bright future in front of them. I say that because I think the the Kansas City Royals are just they're a nice team. They're they're top to bottom. They're just a nice team. They've got. Enough pitching. They've got enough offense. They've got a tremendous bullpen. That's a nice team. And the Mets, the Mets can ride that tremendous pitching mm-hmm. for a while. Eventually, though, I don't know that they can keep all those guys. That's going to cost a lot of money. I think the Mets have a, a, a bright future based on the back of that pitching. And if you can get rid of a guy like Harvey and bring back some more pieces to build around that pitching, take an opportunity while the window's there Mm -hmm. before these guys come up to get these huge contracts that they're going to have to get. You can let, it it would never happen this way, but you let Cespedes walk. You don't give him that big money deal. You trade Matt Harvey for the young power hitter to replace Cespedes with, somebody that you can control for a few years, and you still have so much good young pitching. It would never happen. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, I think it was a great World Series. I think it was closer than the 4-1. to one. I think both these teams have a great shot at being back. We have – it's going to be fun the next few weeks, the next couple of months. The hot stove talk is always fun in baseball, more so than in any other sport. We'll have weeks to talk about that. But I want to talk a little bit about the parade. The people of Kansas City seem to know how to put on a party. I mean, estimates of that, that championship parade drew more than 800,000 people, which is about four times what they were expecting. The population of the city itself is only 470,000, though two million or so live in the metro area. One city spokesman called the festivities the largest in the history of Missouri. I mean, they were getting after it. Schools were closing. City officials said an estimated cost for the World Series celebration was around $350,000. That's a lot of jack. Well, you only spend that every 30 years or so. You can do that. <laughs> Corporate sponsorships will cover about thirty hundred or 300000 of that, leaving the city to pay somewhere around fifty. Mayor Sly James, that's a great name for a mayor, Sly James, said it was worth it for the family-friendly event that brought such a large, large crowd downtown. I just, his quote, I just absolutely loved how people of this city, hundreds of thousands got together with no major incidents. That's a great tribute to our class and to the people that live here. I agree a hundred percent. They, some of the numbers though from a parade like that, they're estimating they've collected over seven tons of trash, 16 (laughs) confetti cannons, shooting off 400 pounds of, that has to be, Confetti has to get everywhere, those little tiny pieces of paper. We live here in western New York. We really have no idea. But <laughs> that has to get ever, everywhere. The Royals were a fun team to watch. Coming back again and again, this was a team you could never count out. They were down in the series against Houston. 
They trailed in a number of games to the Mets, tying two of them up in the ninth to win in the extras. The Mets actually led more innings in this series than the Royals did. It's fun to watch a team that, even when they're down, you still believe they can come back and win. That confidence in your team's ability to win, regardless of the circumstances, is thrilling. To not worry, to not be concerned, to sit there in sort of a cavalier way, almost daring other teams to get comfortable with their lead. As if you just want to lean over when you're, when your team's behind and say, now watch this. What if we could take those feelings and apply them to real life? What if we could trust in God the way we believe in our sports teams at times? To be able to fully rest on the power and ability in a God that created the very heavens and earth would be infinitely more thrilling. And yet we worry. And yet we struggle at times, searching for peace in difficult times. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6 say, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There are times, of course, when it's really easy to trust in God, to be able to rejoice in his salvation as a passage, just as it's easy to trust in your team when they have a big lead in the game. When everything's going good, it's easy. There are other times when life is particularly hard when sadness dominates our hearts and our minds, so much so that we wonder if God is really there for us. How can we rejoice, let alone sing with gladness? This chapter, Psalm 13, teaches us that we can have faith in God, even in troubling times. Don't lose faith. In terms of the Kansas City Royals, the comeback is possible, because we see that David, who wrote the passage, was able to do that. If you only read verses 5 and 6, you might think that David was just in one of those good times when faith in God comes easy, as though he had a five-run lead in the ninth. But when we read the preceding verses, we see that David is struggling. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? David's wondering where God is. Have you forgotten about me? How long will you hide your face from me? Verse 2 says, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. David's feeling forgotten by God. He's dealing with sorrow. His enemies are having victories over him. He's asking how he's asking God how long is this going to go on? But yet he pauses to declare his faith and his joy in God, even intending to sing to celebrate God's goodness. How's he able to do that? David was just a man like you and I are. He had the same flaws, temptations, he struggled. Same things that we have. His have even been well documented and recorded for all history to know about. I'm glad that my flaws haven't been recorded for all to read about the way his was. David recalls times when God had rescued him in the past, and he remembers that God has indeed been very good to him. He realizes that God can very well rescue him again. When we go through difficult times, it will serve us well to reflect on the many blessings God has bestowed on us, the times he's delivered us, the good things he has given us. I know that may be difficult when we're so heavily consumed by pain or sorrow, 
But going into that quiet place by ourselves or perhaps alone with a good friend to be intentional about remembering God's many blessings, naming them one by one, the old hymn says. David also remembers the character of God and how he keeps his promises and how much God loves us. And that doesn't change as a result of our circumstances. It can be hard for us to always understand the ways of God, why he allows us to go through certain things. But he does promise to sustain us, and we must never forget that. His love is clearly revealed in the cross of Christ. His love is sufficient to sustain us, to encourage us in the most difficult of times, enabling us to trust the Lord and even rejoice in those very dark times. Remember all that God has done. The God that created the heavens, the God that created the earth, that God loves you very much. Don't give up. Don't lose faith. The comeback is possible. You're listening to Beyond the Game. We'll be back right after this. Folks, I got to tell you, the weather has been amazing the last few days, and I'm a big fan. The forecast says it'll be a little cooler next week, but still not bad. You know what I'm not a fan of, though? The millions of ladybugs all over the side of my house. At least I thought they were ladybugs, but you know what I found out? They're actually Asian lady beetles. You can learn all kinds of stuff at townandcountrysolutions.com. These ladybug lookalikes are probably using the sunny side of your house, too. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today at 426-5024. That's 426-5024, and they'll make sure your property doesn't become their permanent winter cabin. Call today because exterior treatments are quick and simple. But if they've already penetrated the walls of your house, you'll want to call Town & Country before it becomes even more difficult to treat. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions at 426-5024 or visit them online at townandcountrysolutions.com and tell them Benson sent you. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. I'm Benson. He's one half of those guys. Sometimes sports just make you want to scratch your head and bewilderness. Bewilderness? Is that biblical? Wow. (laughs) That wild ending to the game between Miami and Duke last Saturday, eight laterals. They suspended the the referees that called that game because there was like four violations. It was totally mishandled. But the thing that I don't understand, they won't overturn the game. Now, if the knee was down, the game was over. I understand. You can't overturn a game. You know, if it's in the midst of the game, but this was on the final play. Everybody knows what happens. Everybody knows. Miami knows. Duke knows. Everybody knows the game was over. And Miami getting this victory, to me, it would be sort of, sh- sort of hollow victory. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I'm a Miami player, I don't want the win. I mean, I know they do, but <sighs> that's a hollow victory. It is. It really is. I, I don't understand. In that in, in that instance, you can overturn the game. We know it was over. We know it was over. There's nothing going to happen afterwards. After his knee hit the hit, hit the ground, this wasn't the the pine tar game back in 1983. This is a completely different thing. And the reason I mention that because I've always argued that if the rules are rule, change the rule at the end of the season. But as long as it's on the books, you kind of got to live by it. Mm-hmm. But this is a little different. This The rule makes no sense applied in this situation because the whole world knows the game was over when his knee hit the ground 
and yet you're going to say, well, we have a rule that says we can't overturn games. Come on, it just doesn't make any sense. It leaves you scratching your head. But even more so, college football this week released its first college football playoff poll. have a lot of useless information in your head. It's as useless as the Winter Olympics. You are useless, Ignacio. It's about as useless as a submarine. Clemson at number one, LSU number two, Ohio State number three, and Alabama number four. Bama's ranked seventh in the AP, but someone at the CFB committee saw fit to move the seven and one Crimson Tide up past unbeaten teams like Baylor, TCU, and Michigan State. Bama's also ahead of Notre Dame, who is number five, also ahead of the unbeaten teams. The, the committee provided an explanation why they placed who, where, why. They talked about strength of schedule, blah, blah, blah. There's a whole multitude of scenarios for why this ranking doesn't make sense, why it's stupid. But the fact that the only poll that matters is the final one in early December means that that none of this makes any difference right now. The CFB poll has absolutely no significance and it bears no weight and it basically is good use for Zach's useless information segment. (laughs) So what leaves me scratching my head is why bother with it? Except, of course, that it gets people talking about it. Practically every sports talk show has wasted time talking about this meaningless poll just as we are right now. But here is something I haven't heard anyone say all week. If the poll means nothing, then moving Alabama up into a playoff spot, remember that only the top four positions matter in terms of who gets into the college football playoff. If the poll is meaningless and moving Alabama, no harm, no foul. Makes no difference at this point. Except that LSU and Alabama meet in Tuscaloosa Saturday night, and the CFB rankings now have both teams in the top four. The committee has shamefully just used the poll for its own purpose to add interest and intrigue to this week's game, to tonight's game. Instead of an honest assessment, you just ran whatever out there that would suit your needs, to which I reply, please don't bother. We're not that stupid. Either do it honestly or don't do it at all. Are they your pest of the week? Yes, they are officially my pest of the week. My pest of the week? Toronto Maple Leafs coach Mike Babcock, who wants the NHL to use bigger nets. Mike Babcock, I don't know if you're aware of this, the problem isn't the size of the nets, it's that you're coaching the Maple Leafs, they're bad, and your goalies are bad enough with regular size nets, you don't want them having bigger nets behind them. Think it through, buddy. Thanks for being with us this week on Beyond the Game. Let us hear from you at BTG Program on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Before we go, let me challenge you this week to tell somebody who's been an encouragement to you just how much you appreciate them. Beyond the Game has been brought to you by Town & Country Pest Solutions. Give them a call, and for crying out loud, do something about all those Asian lady beetles and stink bugs crawling around all over your place. 